Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Answer me this question. How would the U.S. do in the uh, Asian uh, tournament and the African tournament? Hello, sunshine. I'm Alexi Lalas, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. This show will be talking, well, the Super Bowl, Cowell, Haji, Sargent, Johnny C., the end of Bayern, CONCACAF Champions Cup, Arsenal romping, MLS odds, blue cards, AFCON, Asia finals, divisional sanctioning, and so much more. But first joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding lights, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Masi, how are you doing on this uh, Monday, February 12th in the year 2024? I'm doing well, but not as well as fans of the Kansas City Chiefs. Wow. This uh, this Chief Dynasty, I mean, are we getting there where we, where we talk about that? And certainly when we talk about uh, Mr. Mahomes there, the, uh, the quarterback, um, one of the greats and heading towards a legendary status uh, that we reserve for the likes of uh, Elway and... Uh, Tom Brady and Namath and these types of mythic figures already. Is that too much? Is that is that too flowery after what happened? No, he is the LeBron to Brady's Jordan. He is a Ooh. very legitimate challenger to the throne. All right. Did you, uh, now you, you mentioned last show that you were working um, at, at a certain part during this Super Bowl. So how much or little of the Super Bowl did you see? Uh, I got home early third quarter, so I don't have any feel for the halftime show, although the reviews were very positive on X, and I don't have any feel for first half commercials. Well, that you missed the first half, um, let me just assure you, you missed nothing. As a matter of fact, I th- I, well, in my opinion, it was a boring game. Um, it got better in the second half and certainly ended, ended on a, a very high note and a very you know, exciting and, I guess, historic type of way going into, uh, going into overtime there. But first half, not a lot was going on. Uh, the, the most interesting part was probably the advertisements, and, and they, off, they often are. Uh, a couple of things. When it comes to uh, performances, uh, the halftime show, I, 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 look, it, it's not aimed at me. So it doesn't really matter ultimately if I liked it or not because I am not the target audience. I don't know a lot of Usher songs. He is an incredible performer, and that showed in his ability to dance, and he's an entertainer. And in this, in this city of Vegas, it was apropos, right? Uh, so he comes out and he does all the, you know, the, uh, the costume changes and dances. I love the roller skate part of it, but I don't think that the 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 songs he has are made for that kind of big big type of environment. I I, I don't think so. It didn't it didn't translate to me. Um, I wasn't I wasn't excited about it. It didn't it didn't scream big. Not taking anything away from uh, his talent. Uh, I, like I said, I thought the roller skating part of it was good. Alicia Keys for me. I, I, every time I see her live, I feel like vocally she 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 struggles. You know. 
absolutely talented and all that kind of stuff. So again, I thought her, I don't know if we call her her or H-E-R. I've seen her before on, on the Grammys. I thought she was wonderful a couple of years back and she came out shredded on the guitar. I think she was the best part of the, <clears throat> excuse me, of that halftime show. Um, up in the uh, stands, because there was a show going on throughout the game up in stands with, with uh, Taylor and friends up there. Blake Lively, you know this uh, young woman there? Sure, yeah. Um, I, I thought the curls looked good on her. I thought that, uh, you know, a commitment to the outfit in terms of it's got to be exhausting to go an entire game and have the off-the-shoulder sweat top look and maintain it throughout. So kudos to her for being able to maintain that off-the-shoulder look the entire time. Also next to her was Ice Spice. You know this, uh, this young woman? I think it's Ice Spice or whatever. I think whatever. Am I, is that right? Yes, okay, good. Um, there's a whole thing now with whether she was wearing an up, upside down cross. And at one point she gave like, you know, the, uh, the devil's horn. You know, I mean, she's no Ronnie James Dio, but uh, she was interesting in, uh, in that box. That whole box was interesting to see. Taylor did the uh, chug of, the, uh, of the, you know, the beer, I guess, or whatever she was drinking there and satisfied a lot of people up there. Nothing crazy happened. And after the game, she's down there kissing her guy and the, you know, scene. Speaking of Taylor Swift, the world needs your take on Travis Kelsey bumping Andy Reid. So, yeah, I, I, I saw this, and obviously in this moment where it's, it's so in your face and public, people are going to read into it and try to read body language or read lips and all that kind of stuff. I just, I just felt like he was jacked up. I mean, this is, I can tell you, you know, from my, my son playing football for the first time, and obviously it's no level of the NFL, but the dynamic in an NFL uh, or a football game is so dramatically different than soccer. Um, and so I, I don't relate to a lot of it. And I was, I left my scratching my head a lot when it came to football in terms of the, you know, there is a real, I guess, testosterone filled Ted talky type of rah, rah over the top that sometimes I would look around and say, is this, is this for real? Well, it is for real. And a player in general in sports getting irritated and angry that possibly this is slipping through his hands uh, for Kelsey right there, that can manifest in a bunch of different ways. And in this moment, I don't, think, I don't think it was problematic. You want people with passion. You want people that want to be on the field. You want people that are emotionally invested in what's going on. So, I mean, it'll come out to what ultimately what they said. It all turned out okay for both of them because they won yet another Super Bowl, but it was a little interesting to see. After watching this underwhelming performance by both teams, did you come away with the feeling that the Detroit Lions should have won the Super Bowl this season? I think I, along with a lot of Detroit Lions fans, were saying this would have been much better had the Detroit Lions been there. And not to take, not to take anything away from the, the Niners and every, uh, everything like that. Did you see the, uh, could, did you get back in time to watch the overtime? I did. Okay, it's going to be really interesting, the, the numbers when it comes to the Super Bowl, because we all know it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then when word got out, hey, it's going to overtime and everything, and everything's on the line, I'll bet you it's going to be a ridiculously massive number when it comes to that. But did you see the brouhaha over the, the time? Uh, because it goes into overtime, right? And with the rules as they are right now in the NFL, each team gets a possession, right? So, and if you score a touchdown or if you've had the first possession, you score a touchdown or a field goal, the game's not over. It's not a sudden death type of situation, but the time is up on the, on the, uh, on the screen there. And everybody was screaming and yelling about this because the time doesn't necessarily matter. 
Although when we came in, before you were here, we were talking to Joel Clad over here, and he he made an interesting point that it actually matters when you're playing in the elements and outside. Obviously, last night was just inside, but if you were playing in the elements, when that clock ticks down to zero, it's not zero in the end of the game because you get to finish out your drive, but what you do is you switch sides. So theoretically, you could switch sides and have an advantage or a disadvantage relative to the weather, the rain, kicking, wind, all that kind of stuff. So it does matter in switching of the sides, but it doesn't mean that once it's zero, the game is over. And so uh, there was a lot of talk about why was it even up there? Should they have it up there? And all that kind of stuff. The other issue is the 49ers won the toss. I was very surprised they opted to take the ball first. Yes, we, there was a lot of uh, discussion here about whether that is the right thing to do. Joel was talking about something. I, I, I couldn't understand what he was talking about, but uh, it sounded really, really smart. It was great to have Joel Clad here this morning and our old friend Kiara. Yes, they, uh, you know, they, they, they came in and graced us with their presence. It was, uh, it was nice. So all in all, a successful um, Super Bowl, I thought. Uh, when it comes to the advertisements, I, I got to go back and watch them because I was uh, over at Rob Stone's and we were having a good time. Rob Stone, by the way, went all out. He, he made some incredible dips and uh he made he made wings because he knows what how i feel about chicken wings uh just to just to poke me but made some pizza all sorts of good stuff so thank you to rob stone for having me uh me over and we uh, we watched that uh messi was featured in one commercial yep. correct messi was there tom brady was there uh ben affleck and um you know that uh, uh arnold was there and danny devito so there was a lot of throwback reference stuff that probably went over some generations had probably the generation that was very excited about Usher went over some of their head, but you know, it's okay. You can't be everything to everybody. Uh, and so I got to go back and watch the commercials again to really understand and see if they really hit because there was nothing where it was drop dead. Oh my goodness. I can't believe that was, uh, that was awesome. Uh, the Dunkin' Donuts thing with Ben Affleck and company, probably uh, resonated the most out there. But let us know what you, uh, what you think. Uh, did you watch anything else, Mossy, that you want to mention? After the Super Bowl, I watched Curb Your Enthusiasm. And then back on Friday, this dropped early because they didn't want to compete with the Super Bowl, I watched the fifth episode of True Detective. I continue to enjoy this show. Now, Sean Sullivan, who has his ear to the streets, informed me recently that it's actually been quite polarizing on X. And I, and I did a search, and I found out that he's correct. A lot of people are not enjoying uh, this. Are not enjoying it? Correct. Because I was under the impression that this was not only good, but dare I say might even rival what I, I think it's generally agreed upon that season one was the best. Correct. Oh, okay. Well, evidently there's a whole other faction out there that doesn't believe it. Now, I have one more week before I can actually start watching because we have one more episode here. I know the folks, including Sean, were talking about a, uh, a cliffhanger or a, uh, something that happened in this latest episode. But I, cl I cover my ears because next week, because it fills my criteria of all the episodes being out and I can binge, I will start watching it and I will give you my reaction as to how good or bad it is relative to the other, uh, uh, to the other seasons. So you, you've been watching that. Um, let's see. Do I have anything that's, that's, that's going on? I've been into... Uh, well, I'm always into, but some more true crime type of stuff. So Murder in the Valleys um, over there on Amazon. And then I went back and watched uh, The Preppy Murder, Death in Central Park. Uh, and that that kind of freaked me out a little bit 
too. And and it was it was an interesting it's an interesting crime case, but also a look back into '80s New York City and everything that was going on back there. So recommend uh, both of those. I watched a true crime doc recently on Netflix, The American Nightmare. I recommended it to Kat this morning. She's fiending for some true crime content. So yeah, you were trying to get your uh, Mount Rushmore or top five of true crime out there, and obviously making a murderer, those types of things. I I. I have Paradise Lost, which I know you haven't seen yet, but I think you should definitely check that. It ended up being three movies over over the years, HBO out there. I think that's certainly up there on the uh, on at least the top five, at least for me. Do you include serial, or are we mixing pods and TV shows? I no, I don't. I don't include that. And some of them are companion pieces and all that, but although it, truth be told, HBO did end up doing a TV show about the serial case. I didn't. I didn't like the HBO version. I, I first did, watched or listened to the uh, pod, and I didn't think that HBO did a good job in terms of making it into a, uh, a video. You know, we probably should talk soccer at some point. Eh, whatever. I mean, do people really tune in to hear us talk about soccer? All right. So, should we light this candle, my friend? Let's do it. Where should we start? Uh, the start of the 29th MLS season is less than 10 days away, so we're going to start doing some preview stuff over the next few episodes of this pod. And today we thought we'd go over the betting odds for the MLS Cup winner this season, and you could identify your favorite teams uh, to take home the trophy. Uh, if you look at uh, our screen right now, for those of you watching us, you'll see teams 10 through 6, Galaxy at 10, Houston at 9, Orlando 8, Atlanta, seven. Seattle, six. Uh, Houston, of course, your Open Cup winners and reached the Western Conference final last season. Now we go five through one. Philadelphia, five. Cincinnati, four. Your Supporter Shield winners last season. Columbus, of course, your defending champions at three. LAFC, your MLS Cup runners-up from last season and won it the, the year before. They are number two. And then Lionel Messi is Inter-Miami at number one. You go whichever way you want to go first, my friend. Well, I... I- so keep in mind, and coming off of the Super Bowl and all the betting things, w- I was reminded time and time again that odds are designed to pique your interest. Odds are designed to steer you different directions here. Now, the, uh, so Miami at number one, and you'll go, well, that's obvious, right? Well, is it so obvious? When Messi came last year, we know it was an abbreviated year, came in the middle of the season, they ended up winning League's Cup, and that was wonderful. They have since added players, including Luis Suarez. But it still remains to be seen what Miami, with Messi, is going to look like in a full season. Now, these odds makers would look at it and say, it's only going to get better. And last year was just a brief glimpse of the greatness that you are, that you are going to see. Eh, I'm, I'm not sure I buy that. I think that it's going to be um, more difficult. The, the other teams will have been prepared now and understand what they are getting when it comes to Inter Miami with uh, with Messi. But so I think from a betting perspective, I would not have Miami at uh, at number one. I'm much more comfortable having an LAFC or Columbus, which has kind of a better track record. And I know Miami's been around, but let's be honest, it's, it hasn't been great with Miami. And so you're just basing it on those months with Messi, which were awesome and. If, that's, if there's going to be more of that, then I think that's justified. But I would not have them um, at one. It is interesting when I see, these, uh, see this list here, when it comes to you know, teams out there, for example, St. Louis. Because if I look at this, where they are not even in the top 10, this is a team that came in, albeit as an expansion team, and just blew the roof off everything, won their conference, 
And yet what these odds tell me is they, the odds makers believe that there is going to be a sophomore slump, if you will. I, th- I think they're right. I think it's very, very, it'll be very, very difficult for St. Louis to kick on and to do what they did last year. Now, do they have to, to be considered a uh, success? No, not, 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 nece- not necessarily. Now, they do come in at 11th. They just don't crack the top 10. I just think that's interesting that somebody that wins the conference doesn't hit the top 10. For the Galaxy to have better odds than St. Louis is a head-scratcher to me. That's a historic legacy type of pick right there with, right. The, uh, with the Galaxy. Look, I look, R- R- Ricky, Ricky Puj. I, I, I love him. I think he, last year at times, was too good for this Galaxy team. I can't believe that with all of the changes, they've actually kept Greg Vanny around. But uh, this has to. This has to get better. And I do think that these odds are simply making it out as, well, it's the Galaxy. So at some point, they have to get it, uh, have to get it right. The Galaxy are the last franchise to win back-to-back MLS Cups, 2011-2012. Columbus will try to accomplish that. The last time they won MLS Cup in 2020, I was very high on them the following season. They ended up missing the playoffs. We'll see how this defense goes with Wilfred Nancy at the helm, Cucho Hernandez, Diego Rossi, Darlington Nagby, who, according to a stat I saw recently, is the best ball retainer in the world. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, I mean, it was designed just to poke people out there uh, with, uh, with what's going on. Oh, my goodness, my phone is blowing up here. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's designed to show what Darlington Nagby is. And if you've been listening to us for any length of time, you will know that one of Darlington Nagby's incredible attributes is his ability to control and to keep the ball. And that's, you know, that's an, that's an important thing. And I think it's not only good from an MLS context. I think that he is, as, you know, as that thing was designed to show, he's one of the best ball retention specialists out there. I would want him on my team, and that the stats back that up is not a surprise, uh, surprise to me. Uh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to bring up uh, Cincinnati, their hell is real rival, won the Supporters' Shield last year. Lose Brandon Vasquez up front, add Miles Robinson at the back. You've got the reigning MVP, Lucho Acosta. Uh, do they pick up where they left off last season, or could you see a drop-off there? I think they, I think they pick up where they left off the season in being a consistent Philadelphia-esque type of team where they're always there. Is it enough to get them over the hump? I don't necessarily think think so, but I don't see a massive regression by any stretch of the, of the imagination. Now, keep in mind, we're going to go into a lot of these teams over the next uh, week in a bunch of the shows that we have with some guests and stuff like that and get a little bit more into the weeds and, and stuff like that. So this is just an overall primer, if you will. LAFC is an interesting one to me. They've had an eventful offseason. Uh, we still don't know about Carlos Vela. Chiellini retired. The likes of Kellen Acosta, Diego Palacios are gone. Uh, but they brought back Edward Atuesta from Palmeiras. They've signed this highly touted Mexican fullback, Omar Campos. This uh, Venezuelan teenage sensation, David Martinez. Dennis Buanga stays. So still a lot of talent there, but a lot of changes. I think this is a bit of a respect pick here, putting them at number two, because they're a bit of an unknown quantity this season, but they have reached the MLS Cup the last two years, so you just assume they're going to be good. Are you good with Miami at one? I think so. You yeah. think you're good with it? or? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think we're all still processing what right. exactly is going on there. Messi's first full season, you know. By, by the way, preseason has nothing to do. I know we've talked right. a lot over the last couple of weeks about the preseason 
problems that they have had. I, that doesn't change my my opinion about Miami and the possible struggles that they may have this year. We talked about me missing part of the Super Bowl due to work. It was the climax of Comunibol's Olympic qualifying tournament. Argentina made it. Brazil didn't, much to my chagrin. Uh, but Argentina making it does have some messy implications because they want him to play as one of those overage players. So that's an interesting layer to this Inter-Miami season. Is Messi's priority going to be Inter-Miami or Argentina with the Copa America World Cup qualifying starting up in the fall, the Olympics potentially, so keep an eye on that. But yeah, it, it certainly is a talented roster. I think Luis Suarez would do well. You've got the veterans, Messi, Suarez, Busquets, Alba, but then you've also got some really good young players, including a couple of guys I just watched in this Comunibol tournament, Diego Gomez for Paraguay. It sounds like they're going to sign Federico Redondo, Fernando Redondo's son. Uh, so it is a very good roster. They've got a good coach and Tata Martino, who's won MLS Cup before. So yeah, I don't have a problem putting them at number one. You don't? No. Okay. Um, keep in mind that this is also about betting. So when I go to the list here, someone like um, Colorado, right? So it's like, you know, I said who I think is going to regress. And I mentioned someone like, uh, like St. Louis. Who's going to have the biggest jump? Well, Colorado, you talk about them adding Zach Steffen and bringing back Sam Vines uh, and Jordy Mihailovic and that kind of stuff. I think you could, you know, I think you could win some money. Are they even on this list? There they are. There are 10,000 plus 10,000 at the very bottom of this list over there that uh, from a uh, from an odds perspective, I think you could win some money. Now, are they going to win MLS Cup? I, I don't know. Stranger things have happened, but they are certainly looking with what they have done to have a big bounce back there. So if you're looking for, you know, some some good solid money, you mentioned the Galaxy. Houston was sneaky good last year. Um, I guess not so sneaky sneaky good because they show in at nine. I think that they're due for not a regression. You know, maybe a bump up. Um, I don't know if they've hit their ceiling yet. Looking at Atlanta at seven. Now, There's another one. The window closed with Tiago Amada still in the fold, but I can't imagine he's not going to leave in the summer. Um, so we have to factor that in. Uh, I don't think they're going to have Almada for the full season. You've got your boy Yakumakis leading the attack, but still losing Almada midseason would be a massive blow. Well, if, you know, they, they talk about succession planning and part of the job in all of these leadership positions that we talk about off the field is to see around the corner. You don't even have to see around the corner here when it comes to Almada and, and others. If you know that you're going to lose them, then you should already be planning. And I know you're not going to know all of the details of whatever deal it is they work out, but you should all, already be planning to have somebody that you have identified that you can go after in the summer to bring back in. So, it, yes, you're losing a, a huge part, of, but it should not come as any surprise to Atlanta or any other team when we're talking about a player of that stature if and when you lose him. Uh, two teams on this list, Seattle at six, Orlando at eight. Uh, keep in mind, Nico Lodero goes from Seattle to Orlando. That's an interesting one. And then Seattle signed this highly touted young Argentine, Pedro de la Vega, to more or less fill that void. So, yeah, those are two interesting teams for sure this season. All right, anything else uh, on these odds? Like I said, we'll talk a whole lot more about MLS, which kicks off in you know a week and a half here, which is amazing. We're already back to the 2024 uh, the start of the 20 tour, uh, 2024 season for MLS, which is uh, just just crazy. 29 teams, and then next year, our friends over there in San Diego. 
come through. Uh, come through. Hey, Mossy, before we uh, before we go, I was just looking at some MLS stuff here, um, and I just want to pull it up here just to because give people a primer as to what they are going to see on the field. Because later in the pod, we're going to talk a little bit about the rules and things that are going to happen uh, on the field. A um, couple of things here the that MLS is doing when it comes to on the field things that might be interesting. First off, their competition points of emphasis are going to be deliberate delay of a restart. We've talked about that. Um, stopping a promising attack, persistent offenses, and dissent. They will have in-stadium VAR announcements. We've talked about that. So the referee will talk to you and explain what is, uh, what is going on. Uh, the stoppage time clock will actually continue to run until completion, including any additional time. So what you see up there on the, uh, on the clock will just continue on. So 95.04, 05, and that kind of stuff. Um, if opposing players are simultaneously injured, then they will return to the game at the same time. They can't do it at one at a time once the medical evaluations have happened. And then the timed substitution rule, if a player being substituted out of a match exits the field of play um, Within ten, has to exit the field of play within 10 seconds. And failure to exit from any point on the field, keep in mind, within those 10 seconds will cause the incoming player to wait for a 60-second holding period before entering the match. Interesting stuff there. Uh, anything, where should we go to now, Mossy? Well, when we taped our last pod on Wednesday afternoon, we mentioned there were a couple of uh, CONCACAF Champions Cup games that night we had our eye on. Yep. One of them was Chivas away to Canadian side Forge FC. Chivas won 3-1, and Kate Cowell scored two goals. We've talked about Brandon Vasquez scoring for Monterey, and now Kate Cowell getting going for Chivas as well. Never under- underestimate the uh, impact that you can make with a modicum of talent, Mossy, and some really cool hair, okay? Uh, I'm, I'm not giving him enough uh, of his due. He's got much more than a modicum of talent. I love the fact that he is making a impact on the field and they are embracing him, the way that he looks, the way that he plays, the, the star potentially that he, could, uh, that he could be. We talked about this CONCACAF Champions Cup and... Uh, from an MLS perspective, they're going to come in starting uh, starting next week when you're talking about Houston and Philly and New England and all these uh, different things here. I don't think that, uh, that Tigris is going to have a problem. Let me just mention that score. Yeah. That was okay. the other game on Wednesday. Vancouver and Tigres finished 1-1. Krylock scored for Vancouver, but then Gignac with a late equalizer for Tigres. Yeah, so... Now they go back to Mexico, right? Yep. Okay, so I don't think that Tigris is going to have a problem overcoming that against the Vancouver Whitecaps, and you mentioned... Uh, 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 let's see, Cade uh, uh, Callow and, and company over there with uh, Chivas over there, I don't think they have a problem at all. It's going to be with a smoke and a coffee. And so both Mexican teams, I think, are going to go through. Any disagreement there? Nope. Okay. Uh, and then as we mentioned, next week, all of the MLS teams start this tournament. Um, all right, Mossy, anything else before we take a break? Uh, before we end this segment, I do have to comment on your phone blowing up because yeah. it brought back some great memories for me. Many years ago, this predates you arriving at Fox, uh, Eric Winalda's phone went off uh, in the middle of a live show. Rob Stone asked him a question, and Eric had his head down, wasn't even paying attention to Rob because he was looking down at his phone. 
I have never seen John T. Whitehead so mad in my life. He absolutely chewed out Eric after that show. So your, your little episode there brought back some funny memories for me. Well, it's, uh, it was my father. My father lives over in, uh, in Athens, Greece. And so I will give him a call when we're, uh, when we're done. It's, it's all good. My father is living his best life, life over there in his, uh, in his 80s, traveling around to different islands, eating wonderful food, uh, basking in the sun, and just, like I said, having a, a wonderful, wonderful um, decade, if you, if you will, out there. So I'll give him a call back then. Uh, all right, should we take a break? Yep. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, lots of doings over there in, uh, in Europe and the, uh, the games and the goals and, and not just in Europe, but other places too. Don't worry. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Okay, welcome back. Some interesting, interesting results. Some amazing, amazing results. And I think some things being settled over there in Europe. Where should we start, Mossy? We begin with the top-of-the-table clash in Germany. Leverkusen with a comprehensive 3-0 home win over Bayern Munich. Stanisic, who is a Bayern player on loan at Leverkusen, got the first. Grimaldo and Frimpong got the others. Leverkusen opened up a five-point advantage. We talked about how we've been here before with Dortmund, but not with Leverkusen. We didn't know how they would react under pressure. Pretty encouraging this weekend. So this has got to be it, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I know I'm asking it as a question, but this, you know, the king is dead. Long live the king. If, if, if Leverkusen can't parlay this into finally dethroning Bayern, then there's something really, really wrong with them. And credit to them, because this wasn't even... This wasn't even close, Masi. Uh, you know, the, uh, and, and like stupid things. Bayern Munich, it, it, they didn't even know the game had started. You know, off the uh, throw-in, it drives me nuts, the, the, the throw-in situation, where we all know that soccer in general is a game that flows. That's one of the, beauty, the beautiful things about soccer. But there are stoppages. And in those moments when the ball goes out of bounds, there is a, a human tendency that you have to fight against and certainly if you're a professional or playing for one of the great elite teams in the world, you would think that this has been drilled into you. That when the ball goes out of bounds and the head goes down, the concentration lapses, you are vulnerable. And from the other side, if you are on your game and quick to react, you can actually uh, do some real damage. And we saw that in, the, in this game. Now, that was just a prelude for what was, what was to come when it comes to Leverkusen. So, this is, I think, as much about how good and, I dare I say, great Leverkusen has been this year in the Bundesliga and deserves so much praise. And in this moment when traditionally you would think, all right, this is when they're, they step back to reality, although they tied them earlier in the season. Not only did they say, no, we are for real, but they did it in such an emphatic way that I don't think that there is that there can be any argument against you saw who the champions of Bundesliga are after that 3 nothing demolishing of Bayern Munich. And again, what Bayern Munich has been is wonderful, but 
this is not last year's or any of the last 10 years Bayern Munich team in the way that they are playing. Yeah, Leverkusen unbeaten in 31 matches in all competitions this season. I thought it was interesting. Thomas Tuchel tweaked Bayern's formation to match up with Leverkusen playing a back three. And everyone thought in and of, that in and of itself was interesting. When's the last time you remember Bayern in a Bundesliga game feeling the need to change the way they play to match up with the other team? Yeah, they are the, you know, the, the beautiful, arrogant poster <laughs> poster boys, right? And yet, to your point, you don't adjust for others. And I know that there's a little hubris in that, but that part of that is what makes, what makes you great. So how the mighty have fallen in, uh, when it comes to Bayern Munich, Bayern Munich and what they are right now. But again, there's the tendency, and I, I get it because of the champions that they are and the consistency and this longevity of, of just incredible play, we, we immediately go to how bad Bayern is and what's wrong with Bayern. And I think you're shortchanging what Leverkusen has done um, and you know, ultimately what I think that they are about to march into. And it's, it's great for the Bundesliga to have somebody else finally, not just, not just poking, because that's ultimately what Dortmund have done over the years and say, hey, we're still here. And then they get us all riled up and hey, this is possibly it. This is possibly it. I mean, do you see any pathway back for Bayern Munich after this weekend? I do. It's only Ooh, five okay. points. There's okay. still a long way to go, but I'm prepared to say Leverkusen are the favorites to win the title. Up until this weekend, you and I both still felt like our money was on Bayern. But, but why is that 31 games they haven't lost? It's, it's not just a small sample size, Mossy. So what is it just because of the aura and the mystique of Bayern Munich? Yes. Okay. All right. That's, that's fair. Uh, we go to Spain, where we also had a top-of-the-table clash. Real Madrid with a 4-0 demolition of Girona at the Bernabeu. Vinicius with a goal and two assists. Bellingham scored twice. Rodrigo got the other. Bellingham did pick up an injury. He's going to be out three weeks. But Real Madrid opened up a five-point advantage, certainly looking like they're going to win La Liga this season. I have thoughts, but I'll let you go first. You were texting me during this game, so I know you were into it. Well, it just... It, it looked like Real Madrid was just patting Girona on the head and said, listen, you, you, you had a great little run here. It's been wonderful to see. We all celebrate and, uh, and praise you, but now let the big, the, the big, kids, play. <laughs> big kids play. And they did. Uh, so from a performance perspective, I thought it was a real kind of stamp of we're not going anywhere. And while it's nice what you've done, Girona, the, the adults are, are playing and speaking right now. However, to lose Bellingham, I think that's as big a story as them beating Girona. I thought that was one weeks. of Vinicius's best performances uh, involved in all four goals. Uh, his goal was Cristiano Ronaldo-esque, this long-distance strike. The assist to Bellingham was Ronaldinho-esque, outside of the foot, perfect weight on the ball. Then the dribbling on the third goal. And then the work rate on the fourth, it was him poking the ball away from Jan Cotto into the path of Rodrigo, who then took it and scored. Bellingham, what can you say about him? Sensational again, which leads me to my point. Um, I consume a lot of the Madrid media, and the vibe around Mbappe's impending arrival continues to be odd. While everybody else looks at it as, my God, you're already this good, and you're adding the best player in the world in his prime. In Madrid, they're very concerned about Mbappe's arrival detracting from what Vinicius is doing, detracting from what Bellingham is doing. They're concerned that he's, he's going to come in with this ego, that everything has to be built around him. So it's all tinged with this trepidation that you wouldn't expect for a team that's about to acquire, I mean, this is like an NBA team adding LeBron circa 2010 or an NFL team adding Patrick 
Patrick Mahomes right now, and yet it's not that simple if you ask uh, the Madrid fans and media about it. Look, I, I get the concern of messing up a dynamic that has been created, and right now it's been successful, but you, you have to... You have to do this deal. He is the ultimate Galactico in terms of how good he is, what the I guess the world not just wants but expects from Real Madrid. But also, Masi, if any team in the world has a history of being able to accept and accommodate, and I guess at times you have to adjust to big stars coming to them, it's Real Madrid. So this should just be kind of who they are. I don't understand why, why specific to Mbappe, this is a problem. Yeah, and they've built Mbappe up to be this egomaniac. I don't know. I think he's smart enough to go to a club like Real Madrid and realize well, it's not yeah. going to be all about him. At PSG, he can act that way, but Real Madrid is different. I mean, to be fair, he's French. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, All right, where should we go now? Uh, on the American front in La Liga, Real Betis with a 2-0 away win over Cadiz. Johnny Cardoso with a man-of-the-match performance, including an assist to William José for the first goal. Johnny continues to impress. I saw your post on X, and I 100% agree with it. Your mileage may vary on how you feel about the Tyler Adams-Johnny Cardoso dynamic right now, but at the very least, it is healthy that there's some competition. You don't want a whole bunch of U.S. players feeling like they're guaranteed starting spots. Tyler is a guy who, until recently, we felt like... Like, when healthy, it's a lock that he's going to be in the starting 11. Now he does have some competition. Yeah, so uh, over on X there, somebody had said, um, you know, relative to Tyler Adams, that, uh, let's see if I can, uh, a better hurry back from injury. Tyler Adams better hurry back from injury. We know he's been out with some real serious injuries over the last, what, year and a half. Um, and those hamstring injuries and then did it again and the surgeries and stuff like that. Better get back uh, from injury before Johnny takes his job on the U.S. men's national team. Now, that in and of, in and of itself is, isn't a problem. Like you said, I, I, I'm, and I've, told, I've said this before, I want competition for all of these players. And I love that Johnny C., Johnny Cardoso, has hit the ground running over there in uh, La Liga with Betis. And I do hope that he puts pressure on Tyler Adams and in that midfield when it comes to uh, the U.S. national team. Because, as I said before, there can be no sacred cows out there uh, leading up to 26. But I think we've talked about this before. Johnny Cardoso has yet to really put that stamp and show this version that we're seeing at Betis on the U.S. men's national team. Has he had a lot of chances? No, not relative to Tyler Adams. But you know what? You have to take the chances that are given to you. And we could just play players forever until they finally have a good game and then say, well, there you go, see? No, that's not how soccer works. That's not how life works either. You get your opportunities or you create your opportunities and then you grab a hold of them with both hands. And even if it's for five minutes here or 10 minutes here or a half here, whatever it ends up being, you have to show that you are better than what Greg Berhalter already has. In this case, you're talking about a Tyler Adams or anybody else. And if and when you do that, then you may get more opportunities. But you're not just going to be gifted opportunities and then if you sh the bed, then say, oh, well, you didn't get enough opportunities. You didn't get enough time. No, that's not how the national team works. The national team is not a charity for Tyler Adams, for Johnny Cardoso, or for anybody else out there. Uh, we go to England next, just to run down what the three title contenders in the Premier League did. Liverpool 3-1 home win over Burnley. City 2-0 over Everton. Erlen Holland with both goals there. And then Arsenal 6-0 win away to West Ham. Declan Rice with a goal and two assists in 
his return to his former stomping grounds. Uh, so Liverpool still on top. City and Arsenal both two points back. City have played one fewer game. Any overall thoughts about the title race? Uh, so where are we at now? So say it again so I'm, I'll make sure we're... Liverpool on top, City and Arsenal each two points back, but City have played one fewer game than the other two. Yeah, I mean, I still, you know, unlike Bayern Munich, that I don't think in this version of Bayern Munich have enough to take it to the end and to, I guess, pip Leverkusen. I do think that Manchester City has enough to take it uh, take it to the end. Um, you know, this uh, this... You know, this this Liverpool, we, we said last week that none of these results were going to surprise us. As a matter of fact, we, we said Liverpool is going to win and Manchester City is going to win. And so it's all going to kind of stick around. And Arsenal <laughs> was, was a, I guess, a pretty fun game if you're an Arsenal fan, uh, not if you're a West Ham. On the American front, uh, Nottingham Forest uh, suffered a 3-2 home defeat to Newcastle. Bruno Guimarães with two goals for Newcastle. Matt Turner did not play. Gio Reyna came on in the 73rd minute, spent about 20 minutes on the field. Well, see, if, if this continues with Gio Reyna for 20 minutes here, 15 minutes there, how, how does this change how we look at this loan. We knew it was going to be short term and he's coming to a team, as we've said before, that is right on the verge of possibly, um, you know, being in a relegation battle there. But, you know, again, now, if he keeps going where he's not a starter, is this a problem? I think so. Okay. So the whole, just the experience in and of itself, you're not buying any of that. He still would have been better off had he just fought it out and stayed with uh, Dortmund? Correct. I still think he had a role to play with Dortmund the rest of the season as a super sub. And to me, being a super sub at Dortmund, who are near the top of the Bundesliga and still in the Champions League, is better than being a super sub for relegation-threatened Nottingham Forest. I think there are some Americans that thought Gio was going to walk in there with the status of he's clearly better than what we have, and he'll walk into the starting lineup and we'll make whatever formation tweaks we have to make to accommodate him. It's early. It's only two games. I don't want to overreact. But so far, that's not the vibe I'm getting here. There are plenty of other players that, if they had done this deal, would walk in and, even with a few trainings, start. Because to your point, if you are doing a deal like this, I, I assume you think that it's better than what you have. And if now, after a few weeks, you haven't seen that show itself, then I think that is a, a problem. And again, he could start the next game. And, and in the time that he's come on the field, it, it's, it's not like he hasn't, he hasn't changed, fundamentally changed the game, but he hasn't been bad. But, you know, to your point, especially a player that we, you know, I guess, you know, that we, we praise so much and 99% of it is relative to his attacking prowess and his ability to create things and to do things. To your point, in Dortmund, you're going to have much more of the ball. You're going to be in a much more attacking and proactive stance uh, for many more games and many more minutes of that game, those games, than you are with Nottingham Forest. So in, it, in and of itself, I don't think it was a bad move. But if this continues, yeah, I, it, it kind of sucks for him. But I don't know. Uh, I don't know if he has done enough or is doing enough behind the scenes where they're saying, yeah, it, was, it looked good on paper, but the, the real version of Gio Reyna is not good enough and not better than what we already have. We drop down a level to the championship. I'm going to lump these two together. Josh Sargent with another goal for Norwich in their 2-2 draw against QPR. And Haji Wright scored both goals for Coventry in their 2-1 win over Millwall. 
Do you, Mossy, when you look at the championship, because there's this, you know, there's always the evergreen compare and contrast and how good is it really and relative to MLS and, and that kind of stuff. I'm never going to poo-poo an American player scoring goals anywhere, to, to be quite honest with you. It's, it's a good thing. It's a good thing for the player. It's a good thing for America. It's potentially a good thing for uh, the national team. But how much, how much credit or credence do you give to a league like the championship when Josh or anybody else is scoring? I'm not a fan. I think it's a very physically demanding league, very competitive league, but I don't find the technical level all that high. Now, I am a Josh Sargent fan, so Mm -hmm. I put a little bit more stock in what he's doing because I think he's able to parlay that into perhaps success at at a higher level. Haji right now, I think this is a case of a player that's more or less found his level and this is where he needs to be if he's going to thrive. And I don't see Haji Wright as a big factor. That's, for the yeah, that ship sailed a, a while ago from Haji Wright. I think, I think the national team and I think Greg Berhalter has much more time for Josh Sargent going forward. Um, should we talk about Daryl DK? Yeah, that was the sour note of the weekend. He came on as a sub for West Brom against Ipswich Town and then about 10 minutes later suffered a serious injury. And actually, it's been confirmed. Fabrizio Romano just tweeted that uh, it is an ACL, so he's going to miss... An ACL. Uh, Oh, so uh, yeah, so he's going to miss uh, the rest of 2024, it looks like. And he's a player that just came back from a serious injury. So terrible. Oh, my goodness. So he had his uh, the Achilles injury, right? And now this is an ACL. Ah, I feel Make so sure I got that right. I feel oh. so bad. You're going to well, you're looking it up as we speak. This is amazing <laughs> in real time. You're seeing Mossy at work. Can we get a can we get an isolated uh, shot of him right now? This is Mossy. I screwed it up. A ruptured Achilles. Wow. And we have an admittance. <laughs> of a mistake so let's make sure that we do not edit that out because this is this is mossy in the wild and not only that seeing some amazing things that he is doing here all right so say again uh so dk with a ruptured achilles okay this is fabrizio romano reporting it though the guy that thought that savino's parent (laughs) club was girona so take it with a major grain of salt all right so if, if if this is yet another achilles uh we we know you know these achilles injuries um actually we were talking with joel cloud a little bit about uh, achilles boy injuries. this was quite the conversation yeah, it was joel. great he was sticking around he had done his, his pod right before and so he was hanging out and obviously there was a lot of overlap with uh, the different people that we have in front and behind the camera and all that kind of stuff so and i always try to pick his brain about different stuff uh when it comes to uh you know the uh, the football world but at one point you know Achilles injuries came up and, and we will, we will see these in all sports and oftentimes they will happen when, when nobody's around. Right. And they're brutal. And who's the uh, football player for, for the jets now that, uh, the, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, yeah. The, uh, the, that guy. So he did that too. So, and this is yet another one for Daryl DK and this has got to just absolutely, well, obviously it sucks for him, but mentally when you've just come back and you've done all of that work and all of that rehab that is day in and day out and just tedious and you know worried about how good you're going to be or if you're ever going to get back on the field and if you do how what level is it going to be and then boom just a kick in the you know what and you're right back where you started I feel so bad for him and I know there's a lot of people I actually was talking to some people this weekend when they saw him go down that you know are really and have been really bullish about what he can be because he does bring something different to that striker position. So we wish Daryl DK well. Uh, horrible news for him, but he's a fighter, and he came back from one injury. Uh, I think he can come back from another injury, but we're not going to see from him uh, for a long time to come with that seriousness. 
We go to the Netherlands, uh, PSV, with a 5-1 away win over Volendam. Death started, Tillman and Pepe came on as subs. Pepe scored right after, coming on his seventh in all competitions this season. He's averaging a goal uh, every 70 minutes or so on the field. I saw Doug McIntyre excitedly posting about this. We know that's his favorite player. So Pepe making the most of the little time he's receiving. Are you more impressed when an American player scores consistently in the championship or the Eredivisie? <laughs> None because, of the above. <laughs> well, no, but there is a there there is a history when it comes to um, how should we say this questionable defending <laughs> in the Eredivisie. Although there are some incredible players, wonderful historic stars that have started their career and scored a lot of goals over there and parlayed that into bigger things. Yeah, two sides of the Brazilian coin. You've got Romario and Ronaldo, but then you also had this guy, Alfonso Alves, who once scored seven goals in a game in the Eredivisie, and he was garbage. So that, that's the day I stopped taking that league seriously. <laughs> uh, but it's in Europe, Mossy, so it must be good. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, well, look, and, and what is good without any, you know, snark or anything like that is that People like Ricardo Pepe uh, are getting back on the field and scoring goals. Taylor Booth, we know with, uh, with what's going on with him. So congratulations to them. Again, not to belabor this point, but it gets back to this larger conversation you and I had the other day about the U.S. national team. What standard are we judging these players on? By, by typical, traditional U.S. national team standards, is guys scoring goals in the championship or the Eredivisie significant? Yeah, maybe. But if we're talking about the U.S., going to a different level in the next few years and challenging to win a World Cup and being able to go toe-to-toe with the big boys in the world, then it's not, I'm sorry, because there's nobody on those teams that's you're excited about if they're doing that. So, I mean, it just what lens you judge guys by. And, and keep in mind that it's not that a player that's playing in a quote-unquote lower division and at lower quality level can't find a spark and can't do it at the international level and can't come in. But you're hedging, you're hedging your bets. Uh, you know, look back at um, with Scalacci and others that kind of just in this moment have this wonderful relative to a World Cup, have these incredible, incredible moments. And then from a club perspective, you never actually see that see that form, which is why I often say form is fallacy. But you are hedging your bets. And I think you make a really, really good point. And it's something that we talked about before also in these low or lowered expectations that we have. We got to raise that bar and expect more from these uh, from these players. And if and when they are doing it, whether it's in the Eredivisie or the Championship, something like that, is that enough? Well, I guess you don't know until they actually are able to replicate it with the national team. But history says that it's a lot harder than uh, than people realize. Uh, one American with no trouble scoring in the Eredivisie of late is Taylor Booth. Remember, he got a hat-trick against Volendam yep. last time out, and then this weekend, two more against Fortuna Sittard in a 4-0 Utrecht win. So that's five and two games. Do you think that sometimes these American players, um, they they see what we're talking about here? And, you know, you'll you'll hear interviews with them that will say, oh, you know, this this league, it's it's so much more competitive and the level's so so much higher. But do you think sometimes they when they are left with their own thoughts, they say, geez, this is this is a lot easier than I thought. <laughs> and this is not what I thought it was gonna be. But to say that would uh 
you know, would would change the um, the per, their, the perception of them from the outside. I I I just always wonder if we are actually getting the truest account of what the reality is on the ground, literally on the ground in some of these leagues that they're playing in. We go to Italy next. Uh, Inter trailed Roma two one at the half, and then came storming back and won four two. Very entertaining game. Roma's more expansive approach under Daniele De Rossi was on display, but Inter were just too good. They look to be headed to the Serie A title. I think it's done over there, and we said that a couple weeks ago. And this is also a, a kind of rejuvenated Roma team that we've talked about. You know, after Pep left, or excuse me, after uh, Mourinho left, and Daniele De Rossi and what he has done. So I think that Roma, they had it, they had it there. But if you're going to lose lose to not only the best team in Italy, but, you know, there's argument as to where their hierarchy is in Europe right now. Uh, you mentioned Mourinho. I forgot to bring this up during the Bundesliga segment. Bild had a story about Mourinho learning German in the hopes that he could be Bayern Munich's next coach if they get rid of Tuchel. Like, what's he doing? Over a weekend? He's, you know, <laughs> doing Berlitz or, uh, you know, du Duolingo? Oh. <laughs> All uh, right. Jawohl. Also in Serie A, AC Milan with a 1-0 home win over Napoli. Teo Hernandez with the goal, assisted by Rafael Leão. Pulisic started, came off in the second half. Musa came on as a sub in the second half. It's kind of clockwork where Pulisic doesn't finish the game. Um, and while he wasn't involved in the goal, I mean, he was, he was fine. And they get the win against Napoli. And then we've talked about Musa in this substitute role now for a while. I mentioned recently that I thought his influence was waning. Just to put some numbers to that, uh, AC Milan have played seven... Wait, who? Who's influence? Musa. Musa's influence, got it. Uh, AC Milan have played seven matches this calendar year. He's only started one. So waning in terms of uh, this move is not going in the positive direction? Or? Yeah, at one point this season, he seemed to have worked his way into yeah. the starting lineup, and now he's regressed into this kind of uh, squad player role. Well... Find a way, you know. <laughs> show show that uh, show that you are show that you're worthy. I still I still think that that Musa is not only a good but at times a great player. And but you got to be able to show it. And this AC Milan team, while not great, is certainly good. So if if they determine that he's not better than anything else they have on the field, then he better work harder and figure it out. Or this is not going to go well for him. Uh, we're taping this on Monday morning. Juventus play later today against Udinese. There are reports that Timmy Weah will start that match. Ooh, I like that. I like me some Tim Weah out there on that right-hand side going up and down. Uh, the UEFA Champions League uh, returns this week around the 16 first legs. We've got four games to look forward to. Copenhagen will host Manchester City. I like City to advance in that tie, by the way. Uh, Leipzig <laughs> uh, will host Real Madrid. Uh, Lazio will host Bayern Munich, and PSG will host Real Sociedad. Okay. When's that? Uh, Tuesday, Tuesday and Wednesday, and Wednesday right? Yep. Okay. Well, we'll talk about that on, uh, on the Wednesday show. Uh, actually, I, I did catch that commercial. CBS had a pretty good Champions League commercial on the Super Bowl. Had you not seen that? Was that the one uh, where people are uh, sneaking off? Day, yeah, sneaking off to send us on. Didn't do it for you. I, are we... Are we really sneaking off? I mean, is that it's? I got. I can do a whole segment on that, but uh, I'll save it for another day. And finally, uh, the two major international tournaments are in the books. Uh, the host nation won both. We'll do Asian Cup first. Qatar with a three-one final victory over Jordan. Akram Afif with a hat trick of penalties. Now I know three penalties in a game is kind of a strange anomaly. You don't see that often. 
having said that, if you look at them, and I know the game was played in Qatar, and so everybody's got their, you know, tinfoil hats and all that kind of stuff. All three penalties were legit. Akram Hafif had a wonderful tournament, and he was money from the uh, from the spot. And I think ultimately, um, I will say the better team won, but there was massive amounts of this game where Qatar was just bending and not breaking. And Jordan had plenty of opportunities to, uh, to find a way back into the game. And, you know, these, these individual mistakes, obviously in areas where you can't afford to have individual, individual mistakes, ultimately were what, you know, what killed them. Back in 2004, Brazil played Argentina in a World Cup qualifier. This was back when Brazil was good at soccer. Yes. And we won 3-1. Ronaldo scored all three goals from the penalty spot. And one of them he had to retake because he made it, but there was encroachment. And so the referee made him retake it and he converted as well. So he actually made four in the same game, only three counted. And Argentinians were all furious. How can you award three penalties in the same game? Marcelo Bielsa was Argentina's coach at the time. This is like the most Bielsa thing ever. He walked into the post-game press conference. The Argentinian reporter were all, what's your comment on three penalties? And he said, they were all correct. <laughs> well, same thing, same thing here. So congratulations to Qatar uh, repeating as, uh, as Asian uh, champions there. And uh, our friends over there, you know, would, uh, would be asking, you know, how, 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 would, how, would, uh, how would the U.S. do in something like that? Anyway, let's go to the, uh, the next tournament. Yes, uh, remarkable story there. The Ivory Coast rallied for a 2-1 final victory over Nigeria. Sebastian Haller with the late winner. Uh, th- this is an incredible story because Ivory Coast, you might recall, lost two of their three group games, including a 4-0 defeat to Equatorial Guinea. Thought they were going to get knocked out, fired their coach, and then because of a crazy combination of results, they eked through as the worst third-place finisher, and then they go on to win the tournament. <laughs> This is Cinderella. I mean, this, this is amazing. And Sebastian Aller and everything that he has been through, uh, you know, with his treatment for uh, testicular cancer and all that kind of stuff, just uh, if you can't find joy at this result and how it came about, and, you know, we talk often about romance and, um, and you know, these amazing things that can happen in a tournament setting. This is exactly what it is and they went down and they came back and just just wonderful wonderful scenes and so congratulations uh on just an an incredible run like you mentioned but it also highlights how a tournament is a is a very different animal and strange things can certainly happen and it's not about just coming through and plowing through the rest of the field all the way through to a final you usually Things, strange things happen on the way. I mean, even, it's not to this extent, but Argentina losing their first game in the World Cup, you, you got to recognize that it's not the end of the world when bad things happen, and there are strange pathways. They get smaller and smaller, and this was about the smallest pathway that you could possibly have uh, uh, for Ivory Coast, but congratulations. Uh, Sean Sullivan texted us during this final bit. Uh, he was so impressed by the scenes that it got him really excited for the summer, Copa America, Euros. We're right in the heart of the club season in Europe, but was this a reminder of the magic of international football? Yeah. I mean, I think it's the type of stuff that we want to see happen and that we celebrate. When I say we, in this summer, it would be Fox and what we're doing with the Euros and Copa. And 
while I wouldn't put the U.S. at an Ivory Coast level in terms of Cinderella, if the U.S. were to have an Ivory Coast-esque type of finish, I still think people would probably poo-poo it <laughs> given the group phase and all that kind of stuff and say, well, this just papers up the cracks and Greg Berhalter really got lucky and all that. Well, but if they recreate the Ivory Coast run literally, that would entail Greg Berhalter getting fired after That's the true. That's true. So Which people a lot of would people be, would oh love, my goodness, yeah. there you go. You're absolutely, you're absolutely right there, Mossy. My goodness. Hey, uh, answer me this question. How would the U.S. do in the uh, Asian uh, tournament and the African tournament if the U.S. national team was part of it? Uh, they'd clearly be one of the favorites in the Asian Cup, and there's a good chance they would win it. I mean, there's a couple of teams, Japan, South Korea, that I think are on par with the U.S., but uh, there's nobody that they can't beat in that tournament. Um, yeah, they, they could win Africa, too. I think that, that would be a bit tougher. There's more good teams there that I could see knocking off the U.S. You're still back in your Japan team? Yeah, I know. Was, uh, they, they made me look stupid. It's all but, right. Uh, Listen, you know, it, it goes up and down. It's not a, uh, <laughs> it's, it's not a straight path to stardom. So, and, all right. Anything and, else? of course, if the U.S. were to play South yeah. Korea, it would be quite the coaching matchup. Jurgen Klinsmann versus Greg Berhalter. Well, the, the way it's going right now, he should be so <laughs> lucky. You see, they're all over him with, uh, with his smiles. They don't like that he, he smiles. I mean, this is, this is classic Jurgen. For those of us that have been around, we, we know him and, South Korea should have known exactly what they were, uh, were getting. But, you know, they still went to a semifinal, but I guess that's not, uh, that's not good enough. That is it. All right, let's take another quick break. When we come back, it's time for Ask Flex. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Okay, welcome back. It's time for Ask Alexi, that part of the show where you send in your comments, questions, and concerns. Keep in mind that our uh, social media handle out there is SOTU with Alexi, and use that hashtag Ask Alexi, or you can call into our State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657-549-2297. That is 657-549-2297. Mossy, what do the people want to know this show? First up, Phil Murray on X asks, why blue cards? Why not just make all yellow cards Sinbin style? Hmm, interesting. Well, what's, well, give us a little context when it comes to what he's talking about here. So IFAB has come up with this idea that FIFA is going to start trialing at uh, lower level competitions of introducing a blue card, which is something in between a yellow card and a red card. If a player commits a cynical foul and receives a blue card, he would have to exit the match for... 10 minutes or so, and then he'd be allowed to come back. If you pick up two blue cards, that counts as a red. Yeah, so uh, as, as is often the case when it comes to these things, you, you float it out there and you see the reaction. And there's, there's some inevitable <laughs> type of reaction, and you can imagine out there, whether it's uh, you know, big-time coaches or players or fans, everybody's got an opinion. A lot of people are like, you know, why are we messing with this? This is ridiculous. Uh, this is not going to help the game. Well, first off, this is all designed to help the game. This is all designed to deal with things that I think in general people recognize are problems within the game. Um, and in this case, we're talking about preventing a promising attack. So professional fouls, whatever you want to uh, call them. And dissent. Now, dissent has been something that leagues and the sport has dealt with, well, for decades. 
But I do think that it's come to a point here where they really want to try to do things that are going to have an impact and to, you're not going to completely get rid of it all, but you, at least you're going to lessen it. And if you don't feel that dissent is a problem, and if you have no problem with players and coaches for that matter, uh, screaming and yelling at referees, you know, they've talked in the past of mass confrontation and all that kind of stuff, then that's, that's your problem. I happen to think that it's a problem. I happen to think that doing things to tr at least attempt to eradicate it is something that should be done. And I do think that something like this uh, can help when it comes to, to the blue cards. As we said, so the blue cards would only be for those two types of things. And I think they are trying to differentiate between the inevitable recklessness that happens in any sport, but certainly in soccer. And it's kind of a traditional part of the physical game out there. They're trying to differentiate that between, I guess, cynical actions that happen on the field that are happening with true intent when it comes to going up and telling a referee you suck and F you, uh, or you know, pulling somebody back that's on a breakaway, or cutting somebody down because they are on a three versus two, or something, uh, something like that. Um, and I think that that's admirable for IFAB and for the game to at least attempt to address it. But the devil's in the details, and so how this gets implemented, and I know there's a lot of question as to okay, if somebody has a professional foul, or if somebody does something dissent that warrants a blue card, and then that person leaves for 10 minutes, what does the game then ultimately look like? It should be noted that a blue card is the same as a yellow card in that if you came back on the field after your 10-minute penalty box, we can't call it a penalty box because there's already a penalty box on the field, but so we're calling the sin bin, you're 10 minutes off the field, once you come back and then you get a yellow card, then that's a yellow and a, and a red, and so it's the, the same type of thing. But would there just be 10 minutes of the most egregious delaying of the game ever in order to get through that 10 minutes? And would it be like a time situation where if people are doing things to waste time, the referee adds it on to the 10 minutes going forward? So all those questions uh, have, to be, uh, have to be asked. But it's all in an effort to say, you know what? If I do this, I am going to hurt myself because I'm getting a card, and I'm going to hurt my team because I have to leave for 10 minutes and my team is going to have to play down a man. I, I, don't, I don't think that it complicates things. I don't think it fixes everything completely, but I do think that it is, it is worth looking into. I do think that it's worth testing, and I do think ultimately that, it is going to, that we are going to have some sort of color and some sort of card like this uh, but ultimately, to your question, when it comes to uh, Phil, um, why not make all yellow cards sin bin style? Like I said, I think they want to differentiate between the things that we're talking about and just a foul that happens, albeit a bad foul that's worth a yellow card. Either way, you're in trouble. And again, just because you get a blue card doesn't mean that it also doesn't qualify as a yellow card. It just means that you also have to go out for 10 minutes. Masi, thoughts? My initial reaction was positive, but I've talked myself out of it by listening to people like Tottenham manager Posta Koglu, who mm -hmm. expressed concern about the time wasting that would go on during those 10 minutes when a team was down a man. So I think on balance, I think this creates more problems than it solves. Okay, so how would you solve the problem? 
I'm good with yellow and red. Just keep getting yellow cards. Yeah, you know, my, my father, who I spoke to right. yesterday about this, he hates sending offs. He thinks it ruins games, a team having to play down a man. <laughs> okay. So yeah. he would be in favor of replacing red cards with something where a team, where a player only spends a certain amount of time away or, and then afterwards maybe he has to get subbed out for a different player or something. But he just hates the idea of sitting down watching a game, and especially early on a team has a guy sent off and then it completely ruins the game and he has to watch 11 v 10 for the rest of the game. <sighs> this drives me crazy. This drives me crazy. I mean, and, and in a bigger context, it drives me crazy because if there are no consequences for your action, then you will not only allow, but you will encourage people to do things. I want consequences. I want severe consequences because I want to plant that seed. Players, they're not dumb, okay? <laughs> they will adapt and adjust to whatever the rules and regulations are. Will they push the envelope? Yeah. Will they try to get away with stuff? Yes. But if you don't do things and plant the seed that this could, be a, this could be problematic, then they will continue not only to do the things that they already do, but they'll try to figure out some other things uh, to do. I, to, to your father's point, do I want to wreck the game? No, but I would argue that the things that we see and that we're talking about, whether it's the, you know, the horrible fouls, whether it is the... Um, uh, the delay of game, whether it is stopping the promising attack, whether it's the dissent and the mass confrontation, all of those things, I think that they ruin the game. I don't want them in the game. And so I want things done that have the potential to mitigate it. I might not be explaining his point of view that okay. well. Perhaps we'll have Mon as a guest on the pod. Okay, he perfect. Can, uh, perfect. Debate you on this. Uh, next up, we have a voicemail. Chase from Dallas um, talking about what the U.S. men's national team needs to do ahead of the 2026 World Cup. I was wanting you guys' top three or top five friendlies that you would want the team to play. Who do you want them to play, and where do you want them to be played? Thank you, guys. Okay, so this goes back, by the way, thank you uh, to our old friend Chase there from, uh, from Dallas. This goes back to something that we talked about earlier in the show and we have talked about, about getting the best competition out there. Um, obviously the U.S. is going to play the World Cup in the United States. That's all fine and well. But I want to, I guess, <laughs> attribute to uh, Jurgen Klinsmann, I want to take this team out of their comfort zone as much as possible. And so I would look and say, okay, what are, um, you want five friendlies that you want to see? You'd get, the, you'd get what you would feel are the, not just the best teams in the world, but the biggest differentiation of play. So for example, um, yeah, I'm going to include Brazil because I'm playing these games on the road. So I would send the U.S. team down to Rio. Now, the problem is, is a lot of these teams want to come to the U.S. to get the lay of the land, but this is what I get to choose. So go down to Rio at the Maracanã and playing against Brazil. Uh, go to England, play England in Wembley, that type of stuff. Uh, let's see, Argentina, I would certainly do that. And I, again, I would play them, I would play them down in Buenos Aires. Um, and then you get into interesting things. France, I think that would be it. And so, you know, the best teams in the world. I would probably, then it gets interesting because I would probably say from a stylistic perspective, 
I would want them to play against like a Germany or something like that, that, that gives them a little different feel. I know it's stereotypical, but you know, the physical part, and I know Germany isn't what they, they, used, they used to be, but that still playing Germany in Germany, which by the way, we have done before in the, in the past, um, and won. <laughs> uh, I think that that 90 minutes is of incredible value, especially to, again, sometimes we forget this developing team of a lot of young, young players. Masi, what about you? Well, we should say it sounds like the U.S. is going to play Colombia mm-hmm. right before the Copa America, which is interesting because Colombia is on the same side of the draw as the U.S. We were told the U.S. was trying to avoid that, which is why uh, the friendly against Brazil was scrapped after the Copa America draw. But I guess after trying other options, they finally circled back to what the heck. We'll, we'll play a team that we might end up playing again in the Copa America. It's not that big a deal. So I would, I would add one. Um, and because the U.S. is not going to have to qualify, we're not going to have that octagonal, hexagonal type of situation. Playing Mexico in Mexico City, I think, is always a good experience for these players. And not just from a... That's just from a soccer perspective and a competitive perspective on the field where it's always good and a very different type of environment. But I also think from a, uh, a morale perspective and a team dynamic perspective to, to understand who you are relative to Mexico and to understand what CONCACAF is and to understand the passion and the emotion and the history that exists between these two teams I think being reminded of that is good, not just, not just for playing against Mexico, but it's good in terms of the development of this team. So I might even throw something like that in. I will say the U.S. played Germany already this cycle. Sounds like they're going to play Colombia. Yep. They might play Mexico in the Nations League final in March. Uh, they'll play Uruguay in the group stage of the Copa America, and then they could face Brazil in the quarterfinals. That would be a nice little sample of tough matches in a short period where you can extract a lot of valuable data points. So I'd want an African nation too, if, uh, if possible. And cause you know, you, what these groups are going to look like, you never know and who you're going to come up against. And so I'd, I'd want that too. And I'd love for the U S to go to an Af- to, to Africa and to play in an African nation. That'd be cool too. That's it. All right, let's take another quick break. When we come back, it's the end of our show and I'll give you my one for the road. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. 
That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Okay, welcome back. It's the end of our show. And at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. Mossy, have you heard of this uh, USL Super League? Uh, this did hit my radar, but you're going to need to explain it to me a little bit better. Okay, so the USL right now, a uh, Division II sanctioned league when it comes to the men's team, uh, the championship, and they have USL 1 and USL 2 and just, just a lot of teams when it comes to the men's side of the game. They have decided to come out with uh, a women's league. And it's going to be called the USL Super League. It's going to start in the fall of 2024. And unlike most American and North American leagues, it's actually going to run in a more traditional, I guess it would be, European uh, season, starting in the fall, going around the corner, and then ending uh, at the beginning of uh, of summer. So uh, the interesting thing when it comes to the USL Super League is that it just was awarded Division One sanctioning. Now, for those that don't know, the sanctioning process is done by the United States Soccer Federation. And if and when you want to have a league, you will go to them. And there are different criteria that you have to check all the boxes in order to be quali- in order to qualify for Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three. Now, there is nothing that precludes having multiple leagues with the same divisional sanctioning in that in the past we have had men's leagues where there have been multiple Division II leagues. So now, with the USL Super League getting their Division I sanctioning, we now have two women's leagues that are Division I in the United States. This new USL Super League, which starts again this fall, and the NWSL, which has been around for the past decade plus and has been incredibly successful. Now, is this a, a problem? Is this a glitch in the system? No, I actually think this is exactly how the system was intended to work. And I have in the past talked about people and demanded that people, if they want something different, to go and to build a better mousetrap. And in this sense, the USL is saying, well, we have have done that. We have not only built a better mousetrap, but we have satisfied all of the conditions. Now, it should be said that the conditions for Division I of a women's league are different than the conditions uh, of a men's league. But again, nothing precludes USL when it comes to the USL championship, for example, which is division two right now, from doing the things, and they have you know, all sorts of different criteria, including how rich your ownership is and the resources that you have and the stadium qualifications, all that kind of stuff. But there's nothing that precludes USL championship from being sanctioned Division One if they live up to that. And then you would have two Division One leagues. And I'm totally good with that. And let the, let the public decide. And while we don't have promotion relegation when it comes to these open pyramid and open system that a lot of people claim, we do have the sanctioning. Now, I will say this, Mossy, uh, because a lot of people don't realize that this is the process out there. And I've always said this. I think that there should be a continual justification for the sanctioning of leagues and all of the different criteria. And I'll, I'll tweet it out again if you want, and you can go read. It's, it's many, many pages as to what the United States Soccer Federation has dis- determined makes you and enables you to qualify for each and every level, whether it's Division One, Division Two, Division Three, And there have in the past been uh, criticisms of the professional league standards, the PLS, the professional league standards out there, on they are and have been made in a way that deters people 
and that is not conducive to having multiple leagues. But we can see right now that you can have multiple leagues that are sanctioned in the same way. Um, all of this is to say, what does the what is what is the professional women's soccer landscape out there look like with two Division One leagues? Now, they are playing in different times, and so that's going to be interesting just as a case study to see how the USL Super League gets on playing in a much more traditional sense. But again, now you're playing through the winter, and how does that ultimately happen? But who wins out? Or does this end up being a merger down the line when they all come together? Or can they both coexist? And how on the field does the competition look? And how off the field does the business Look, I'm here for it. I love it. Congratulations to the USL for doing the things they needed to do in order to qualify for a Division I sanctioning. And I wish them well on the field and may the best league win out. Or who knows, maybe they both win out going forward. And I would love nothing more than to see other leagues, whether it's USL or anybody else out there, do the things from a men's perspective to come with a Division I sanctioned league and to compete, I guess, against and at times with the current Division I league, which is Major League Soccer. And these are, they can be framed as the soccer wars that go on out there, but I actually think this is a good thing going forward. I don't know ultimately how it's going to look further on down the line and whether this ends up being a, I guess, a traditional merger of leagues out there for the greater good, or if one goes away and one is left standing relative to the market out there, but this is good. This is competition and this is American in the way that this is, uh, this is, that this is happening. So, and the more soccer and the more people wanting to have, and in this case, having professional soccer leagues, men's, women's, co-ed, naked, doesn't matter to me, the better off we are going forward. Mossy, anything before we go? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if they can sign prominent American players that would have otherwise played in the NWSL. To what degree does Emma Hayes have to watch this league as well and keep tabs on those players? So, yeah, it, it is a fascinating dynamic. I would think that the NWSL right now is looking at it and saying it doesn't change our trajectory. It doesn't change our approach. And while they are Division One sanctioned, it's only a sanctioning and they will be looked at as a afterthought and a redheaded stepchild, if, uh, if you will. But, you know, I think they, they are f- much further on down the line in terms of the money that they generate, the prospects that they have, the expansion that they have, the quality on the field, the reputation globally and obviously domestically. So USL has their hands full when it comes to competing with the NWSL. But from a pure sanctioning perspective, we now have two Division I Uh, women's leagues when it comes to uh, the United States. Congratulations to USL Super League, and uh, we wish them luck uh, going forward. Um, All right, Mossy, we're going to be back later on this week. Like we said, we're going to delve into some more MLS stuff because we are coming up to like a week before the 2024 season starts and kicks off, so that's going to be fun. Uh, Thank you for joining us. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for reviewing. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for all the comments and questions that you send in on all the different social media platforms out there and on our State of the Union podcast hotline. Um, And thank you for all the different ways that you either listen or watch to the State of the Union. And you can watch. um, And you can see us in all of our glory. You good, Mossy? Yep. All right. We'll talk to you again later on this week. And until then, and as always, my friends, size the damn.